And we're live. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, um, they're probably gonna be listening the whole time, but that's okay. Um, uh, I don't know, I'm not super secretive. I've never really thought about this subject, so. No, it's okay. Does that ruin the no. interview if I've never thought about this before? <laughs> no, not at all. It honestly makes it better. You know? I don't think it's something that everyone's like actively thinking about all the time, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So basically, the whole idea, which we were kind of already talking about beforehand, is you know, how many of our relationships are formed on what goes unsaid? Um, and I think a lot of them are. We kind of talked about the idea of the parent-to-child relationship, how all the time... It's almost a cliche, well it is a cliche, for parents to say to their children, I hope you feel like you can tell me anything. Mm. But, you know, even from a young age, most children realize that's not true, because how much do they know about their parents? Are their parents going to tell them everything about themselves? So, I mean, that's just one example. And I think it's an easy one, or an accessible one, and a major one, because... Your parents are normally the first people that most people interact with. But it translates into so many other ways, other relationships. I mean, teacher to student is a big one. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's students who are, feel displaced because they feel that they can't either relate to the content or the teacher's talking at them. Ooh, that's, that's a big issue with uh, going to an international school, Eastern versus Western culture. Like, Western students are a lot more likely to talk in class to their teacher. Mm. So, even though a lot of the time, like, the Asian kids were smarter or better at the work, the teachers would always give more attention to the Western students because socially they're more, like, trained and programmed to speak up and answer questions and have opinions. Mm. That was something that, like, just recent, like, post me graduating at my international school, they've started taking seriously. Um, just like, yeah, even, even though the Asian kids tended to have better GPAs, um, from a lot of times stricter parenting, the teachers always, had obvious favoritism towards the kids who grew up in Western families. Mm. And this is Thailand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah that's really interesting. Uh, kind of that how uh, you say that the Asian students kind of reacted to, I mean, the hierarchy almost that they felt. Well, yeah, there's a... This, this also relates to that book you gave me for my birthday very directly. Um... Uh, someone did a system where they could rank each nation by how likely they are to speak up to a superior and places like Korea and pretty much all of East Asia was very very low on the list they would pretty much never even at even in a situation where they were pilots Like, a co-pilot wouldn't speak up to a pilot in the situation that would potentially lead to a death. And that's why Korean Air had so many crashes in the 90s. Oh, yeah, I remember hearing about this. Yeah. Yeah. 
But Americans, for better or for worse, are very willing to speak to people, speak against people at a higher social status than themselves. Yeah. That's interesting, and I never, I never really actively thought about how that could play into this dynamic. Um, but it totally makes sense, and I'm sure there's the huge discrepancies amongst different groups of Americans. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. I'm, t- I'm talking when I said Americans, it was inappropriate, but I meant specifically white Americans. Yeah, I mean that's true, and I mean. There's plenty of reasons for that that we don't yeah. need to like try to yeah this intellectualize. Isn't a, this right? isn't a political, racial issue. I mean, it definitely plays into it, though. I mean, yeah. when your mindset is on survival and your parent knows best from experience for certain groups of people, um, it totally makes sense mm-hmm. that that would affect it. Um, just relationships generally. Yeah. Uh, your tentativeness. Yeah, for sure. That all definitely has to do with Eastern versus Western philosophy and psychology. Yeah. Um, I mean, how do you think it affected you personally in school? Um, I think I've ended up kind of weird because I'm a lot more outspoken. And I was, like, I was pretty outspoken in high school and at the international school but compared to Americans and compared to a lot of classes at Evergreen I don't speak out nearly as much as anybody else in the class Mm. so I guess I ride some sort of middle ground just because of growing up in the two different environments um yeah. So I think I ended up kind of weird. <laughs> I don't think it's weird. I mean, hell, I hardly speak in class. That's not true. It's mixed. It's mixed. <laughs> Maybe we're in the same boat here. Um, yeah. Do you think it translates into your home life at all? Or just generally how you interact with people? I, my parents were super open with me by the time I was like in high school they had like told me that we were super poor and I was aware that my dad had struggled with depression at times and um I don't know I knew I knew things that I feel like most parents don't tell their kids or a lot of parents don't tell their kids But it also has to do with my parents just always been pretty upstanding citizens and didn't have a lot of really bad stories to tell. (laughs) They were kind of badass. Ooh, that's probably not good to put in the interview. No, I swear. Okay, cool. Yeah, we swear in this class. Cool. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so I think I probably have a good relationship with how I'm able to talk to people who are socially classed above me. Mm. It still intimidates me in a way that I know it doesn't intimidate some people, but I think it's a healthy amount. Mm. I understand. Yeah. Huh. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm not like. I wouldn't ever expect like a parent to be like, "Hey, but just you know, just got freaky with your mom." You <laughs> yeah. <know? laughs> obviously, nope, no. that wasn't. <laughs> like, but I mean, to a certain like, you have to use discretion, right? Obviously. Mm-hmm. Was, and they chose to tell me those things later, not like, I wasn't like eight years old, and they're like, we're broken, I'm depressed. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a lot for an eight-year-old. I mean, yeah, I mean, and children pick up on things anyway. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I sure as hell know I did. But like, I was talking to my dad the other day when I interviewed him, and he said something similar, like, yeah, you tell children things when you think they're ready for it. Yeah. And I said to him, well, was there, any, was there ever a moment when I was young? That you wished, like, oh, I wish I could tell him this or tell him that. And he said there's lots of things that he wish he could always have told me, you know. And he, what did he say? Oh, yeah, he said that um, parents just want to protect their children. Mm-hmm. They tell them what they think is enough, which is interesting. And then he also said that uh, he would never want to tell something that would, you know, make his children feel disappointed. Mm-hmm. And he said, and I said to him, similar, like, what to... Patrice Conkeller said to her father, I hope you feel like there's nothing you can't tell me. Yeah, now that you're an adult. Yeah, now that I'm, I mean, yeah, now that I'm an adult, I mean, the relationship changes. Yeah. We talked about that too, like, you want to tell your kids enough and have, like, be invested in them enough to where they feel like they can be your friend Mm -hmm. later in life. Um, For sure. But it's interesting because, uh, on the flip side, I feel like it can have the other effect, like... It can, if, yeah... If they are too defensive or, like, it's got to be two-sided. You have to feel like your parents tell you things at the same time as for you to be willing to tell them things. I think where it goes wrong is when parents don't spend the time or effort talking about their own mistakes with their kids and then tell their kids that they can tell them anything. And the kid's just going to develop a cycle of not talking about anything they do ever because it's just not... There's no motivation. Yeah. Like... Because you're... Like, revealing your secrets is something that's going to have... It's a, it's a mutual trust. So... I don't know. It's almost like you need relative blackmail (laughs) (laughs) I know yeah I can see there's an art to it for sure you know and I said to my dad there's a huge difference between disappointment and judgment Mm -hmm. judgment is something more permanent disappointment is a letdown due to the standards of the person that you know that they truly they truly are they're not meeting the character that you know that they actually have Um, which I think he appreciated but no, you're totally right. It's a dance. It's an artful dance. Yeah. Because. It's one I'm not great at and kind of <laughs> annoys me, but I wish, I wish everyone would just say everything all the time. Yeah. But there's very, there's lots of obvious reasons for why that's not and probably shouldn't happen. Yeah. Sure. Save time. Yeah. <laughs> Be way more efficient. No, I hear you. There are definitely a lot of situations where people could just say their feelings and skip the games. Yeah. And I think when it comes to parenting, at least, like, there's so many, like, 
there, it's not black or white in as far as sharing too much or too little, obviously. There's, like, the smothering mother, right, mm-hmm. who babies their son too long. Yeah. Or there's, like, the concept of, like, the over-revealing hippie parent. Yeah. You know, that's That's one. weird, too. Or there's, like, the dad who's, like, my daughter's not having sex till she's 40. Yeah. Know? So, I mean, there's so many ways that you could go. But that's why it's an artful dance, I think. Mm-hmm. You know? It's, yeah, it's definitely not easy. And, I don't know, I haven't been a parent, but I imagine it's, like, feels kind of unnatural. Like, you have to kind of go again. Like, I bet my instinct would be to hide anything bad I did so I could seem like a perfect symbol of how to be an effective person. But you would have, like, I know I would have to defy that instinct to have them, like, be able to understand reality Hmm. and have the social dynamic of being able to tell each other things. Yeah. You want to mitigate harm as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I talked about in some of my papers that led me up to, like, wanting to do, like, formulate this idea of, like, stro- like broadening social dialogue within our own lives. Because I think that dialogue can mitigate harm a lot of the time. I definitely think that's true. I mean, and not to, like, have a reductionist view of, like, this one particular example I'm about to give. Um, but, like, think of, like, school shootings. Think about, because, like... Some of our guest teachers that came in were this quarter were guest teachers from Rainier Beach, mm. which I'm you're mm-hmm. living in Seattle, you know where Rainier Beach is, and uh, they had a program called the Freedom Schools, mm-hmm. which was like I think it was for school and after school program. I could be wrong, so don't quote okay. me on that. But they would start every class with a circle, Socratic style type of talk. Yeah, and I, I mean that sounds like such a simple idea, but I think if more teachers or every teacher incorporated something like that into their classroom where like the first five ten minutes of class students could just talk about like anything they wanted or what's going on in the Mm -hmm. like through the coursework or like what's going on at school that day it could be a simple share out but i think like that alone think of the like things we could catch yeah yeah catch is a good one i think catch This is, like, one of my most macho douche views on the world. But I think catch is, like, one of the best ways to deal, like, to have conversations and kind of delve deep into yourself. Because it's just distracting enough to bring your guard down. And then you talk a lot more freely. And then talking more freely makes you not pay attention to catch and you get better at it. (laughs) Yeah. They're both kind of things that you need to not focus 100% on to do effectively. That makes sense. I'm going to be real with you. I was talking about like catch things as in like catch things before they happen. I thought you were talking about like throwing a frisbee. No, I mean it makes sense though. (laughs) The reason is totally valid and it makes a lot of sense. But, um, no, you're totally right. But I think it's, like, kind of like the cliche term, like, silence is violence. Yeah. Which, I'm, I'm meaning it in a totally different way than, like, not reporting something. Or, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, we're talking about this being a kind of challenging social back-and-forth dance. 
that's inherently stressful. And, like, everyone needs some sort of interaction that isn't a dance and is just totally open. Yeah. Yeah. I think, in my head, that's the whole, like, one of the main benefits of, like, therapy. Or, I don't know. Brains are weird. It's just a bunch of juice. <laughs> and if they're just left alone with no outside impact on their thoughts, they just keep getting weirder. Yeah. No, you're totally right. I mean, and there's like harmful constructs within our society, and obviously they affect with how we communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's obviously apparent. Expanding the dialogue may seem like a simpler cliche idea. But I think when you're starting from the ground level as far as, like, expanding the dialogue within your own life, within your own personal relationships... I mean, and people do this in different ways, and they have different mediums of doing it mm-hmm. unconsciously. Like, people drink, and they loosen up, and they, like, yeah. feel more free to say things. I mean, and don't, be, don't get me wrong, I've had instances where I've, like, have felt such good emotions towards people or friends that I want to say, mm-hmm. but why don't I say it? I don't know. That's fair. Yeah, that's definitely... I don't know. I I think that's definitely social stigma. Yeah, it's weird. Weird weird social... Like, obviously, as dudes, we are the least oppressed of the gender spectrum. Yes. But there's still the, like you're not supposed to show feelings undertones of masculinity and those are pretty pretty fucked up i don't know yeah you should be able to tell your buddies you like them and not not feel weird about that yeah i mean that's true have you ever like been in a situation where you know to get too specific I mean it could be a parent it could be anyone where you just really wanted to say something to someone and you regret it that you can remember I regret not saying it yeah I regret not saying it oh I mean definitely yeah um what's a good example Okay, this is a weird one. When I was in second grade, I pantsed someone, and then I felt miserably guilty about it. (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't tell anybody for like three days. And the second I did tell my parents, they were like, you're you're in second grade, who who, who could possibly give a shit? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then I felt better because they were like, just don't do it. That's just a bad thing to do. Don't do it again. <laughs> and I was like, of course. Now I'm, now I'm back to normal. The brain juice isn't trying to consume itself anymore. That's actually such a good example because it was tearing your small, young, inexperienced mind yeah. apart. I mean, morally, you were like, oh yeah. my gosh, I embarrassed this. I person. was the most guilt-stricken child in the world. It was very weird. Hmm. I watched... My parents were pretty anti, 
I think because of gun violence in America, my parents, I didn't, I wasn't allowed to play a first person shooter until I was 16. And like, I didn't watch any scary movies or anything. And while, while a babysitter was taking care of me one night, I sneak watched a Batman movie and it scared the shit out of me because I was like seven and just so, such a wimp. And the Batman movie scared me because I think it was one of the old ones where they dipped the guy in acid mm-hmm. and the bones came up and it yeah. was super spooky. And I was like, my parents wouldn't have let me watch this. I shouldn't have watched this. I knew I shouldn't have watched it. And I punched myself in the face so that when my parents got home, I was like, now you don't have to punish me because I already did it. And they were like, we don't do corporal punishment. Where did you get this idea? (laughs) So I was just such a weirdly guilty feeling child. Yeah. Huh. Which I think is the opposite of most little boys. Yeah, it's hard to say. Like, I don't know. I feel like the stereotype is... They have no no feelings, and they just wreck. Yeah, I think I was a no-feelings guy. Yeah. So, yeah, I was a, I was a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I mean, it's that Eastern-Western thing, maybe. Maybe. Maybe I was having conflict with the new social stigmas. You're not going to believe this, but I have a really similar pantsing story. <laughs> I know that sounds so funny to say. <laughs> My professors are going to listen to this and be like, oh, what the hell is this? But, <laughs> but dude, no, I was in sixth grade, mm-hmm. and I had just transferred to school back in Lakewood, mm-hmm. and this was before they had rebuilt the new middle school, so I was coming from, I was going to school out of district, and this is something I talked about a lot last quarter, but educational tracking systems, kids who come from lower income areas or come from out of district, they're like tracked as soon as they're in the school, mm-hmm. a lot of the time, when schools make money on attendance kid misses school, they're definitely way more likely to kick that kid out of school. Mm-hmm. They're out of district, obviously. Um, but I went back to school in Lakewood in sixth grade. And it was just like such a old school building. There was no cameras. Kids ran around and did whatever they want, really. Mm-hmm. And I was in the band room. And I was in percussion. And I was behind the timpani. And there was a kid, I'm going to call him... Sammy, for anonymity's sake. And I, his real life name is Samuel. It's not. <laughs> it's not. Um, I wouldn't do that to my boy Sammy. And I, I pantsed him, and everything came down. Oof. Everything came down. Yikes. And right away, he took a bass drum mallet and hit me in the head with it as hard as he could. And I go, oh, what the hell, man? He goes, the only reason I'm not telling on you is because I just hit you. And I said, fair. Tit for tat. There you go. I got back from my summer internship in Alaska. And I always felt so bad about it because he ended up being kind of a weird kid as school went on. Yeah. And I was like, fuck, I hope that pantsing didn't directly influence that. <laughs> I really doubt it did. Bro, you never know. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. It could, it could have been the final straw. Yeah. But... I got back from my summer internship in Alaska after my freshman year of college, before I started at Evergreen, like a week before, and I saw him working in Target, and I was like, fuck. And I left Target, and I said to my mom, I told her, I had never told anyone about it, but I told her, 
Like, all these years later. Like, almost ten years later. I pulled that cashier's dick out. Yeah, and she was like, you feel that bad about it? She's like, you should go apologize to him. And I did, and I went up to him. I went back into Target, and I said, hey, Sammy. And he said, hey, Cameron, what's going on? And I said, I don't know if you remember this, but I'm sure you do. When we were in sixth grade, I pantsed you in front of everyone. And I just want you to let you know that I'm so sorry, man. (laughs) If I could go buy you coffee sometime maybe we could just talk and get over it he shook my hand and said you know what man people change no big deal sorted i know and it just felt (laughs) so much better because honestly all of high school i would see samuel and he'd be so nice to me Mm -hmm. and i felt so bad about it but it's just like we got to relieve ourselves of this internal for sure you know totally i was thinking about something and i forgot what it was Shoot. Oh, it was really dumb. Never mind. No, say it. All right. Um, We're still on pantsing, making this the least, (laughs) the least heady college interview ever. Uh, I'm sure there's been worse. I, okay. So then in like eighth or ninth grade, there was like, just, it was just an era of pantsing where like, Everyone was pantsing everyone else, and it was becoming an ordeal. Yeah. (laughs) No one had really done it to me yet. I wasn't partaking. But we're talking about, like, social interactions that kind of happen without words. The kid pantsed me, and I I, I was, like, obviously kind of shocked for a second, but then I was like, no... If I panic, then they win. So I just left the pants down and stared at him and tried to sit on his lap. And I never got pants again because everybody knew that it was a threat. <laughs> I mean, maybe reverse psychology in some odd way. Some reverse pantsology. Yeah, reverse. <laughs> 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 that can be the title of your. Reverse pants. <laughs> We're gonna throw it on there, yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. Well, Reese, you have a sibling. Mm hmm. Zoe. Mm hmm. What's that like? I don't know. It's it's good. We we have a good sibling relationship and pretty much always have. Um, I mean, obviously, we were annoying to each other at times but we were never like there's never been a time where I was like I hate my sister yeah which I know that's a definitely a large part of childhood for a lot of siblings Hmm. um yeah do you think any of your dynamic is formed on something that both of you know but just don't talk about I don't know, I think inherently, as siblings, like, your earliest memory, or like, we're only two years apart, so all of our earliest memories, like, and then we also, our family moved around early in our lives a good bit. Yeah. So, family was kind of the only constant until I was in, like third grade Mm. so I think in that way there's a 
unspoken social bond that is just because it's longer than anybody else that we've known each other. I think that's what makes, like, sibling relationships different to any other kind. Because it's also, it also has the inherent, like, you, it can't change. Like, you can leave, you can be a dick to your friends and then they'll stop hanging out with you. But, like, technically, you can't stop being siblings. True. Reese, have I ever been a dick to you and you want to stop hanging out with me? No. We got this shit on audio right now. <laughs> no. Hey, bro buddies. Yeah. I like you. We're, I, I don't know, you're cool. You're one of very, very few people in America who I've genuinely felt a connection with. Oh. There you go. Fighting toxic masculinity. I'm sorry I went on that Brexit rant one time. What did you rant about Brexit? Please let it be that it was dumb as shit. Yeah, it was. I, no, Brexit's actually, dumb as shit. We don't need to talk about the intricacies <laughs> of what we were talking about, and I don't want to incriminate myself on this audio recording, <laughs> but we were talking a lot about Brexit one time, and I don't remember everything that happened, but uh, yeah, I'm sorry if that irritated you. I have no recollection of it, so... Oh, win-win. Um, All good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you were pro-Brexit, though, then you probably irritated me. Well, we don't need to talk about it. <laughs> I don't remember what I was, Reese. God damn it. Um, that's funny. Uh, um, yeah. I don't know. Also, I feel like you can have so, like, different, within reason, you can have different political views without, like, having conflicting moral perspectives. Yeah, I think that's the problem. I don't attach, like, politics to my identity. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. And then on top of it, it's like, if you're if someone's political identity has to do with like being racist, yeah, then fuck them. That's not that's the that doesn't have to do with politics in my head. That has to do with morals, and then it's they're just not worth the time. But like, if someone disagrees with me on some sort of on, like, Brexit, I could be like, nah, you're dumb. Yeah. But we're, we can still be friends. Yeah. I gotta talk to you about something after this interview. I gotta, Is it Brexit? To, no. <laughs> it's not Brexit, thank God. Um, yeah. Well, let's, what else can we talk about here? A lot of things. There's so many things. Um, you have a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Anya. Mm-hmm. Ani, if you listen to this later, I got your name on this recording. I'm talking big crap about you. Mm-hmm. No, it's okay. Um, I mean... You're so scared of her. <laughs> I, I'm not scared of Anya. I don't want to disrespect her. That's She's very fiery. Fair. Yeah. Me neither. <laughs> well, that's kind of an unspoken thing that forms your relationship. Maybe. It's, it's pretty spoken. <laughs> yeah. You think so? I think so. I That's don't know. Funny. If you said that in front... Like, we could say all this in front of her and she'd be like, yep. Fair. Fair. Yeah. I don't know. Our, we've been together for four years and we've been together since I graduated from high school. So, I don't 
technically really know adult life without her. Mm. And also, we've known each other for, what, like, ten years? Mm. And been friends for probably eight of those? Mm. So, like, we have a foundation that I think a lot of relationships don't have. And a lot, a very, very long vetting process of proving that we like each other. Yeah. And so I think we can, a lot more can go unspoken because it doesn't actually have to be fleshed out because it's just happened naturally over time. Gotcha. Yeah. And I I feel incredibly lucky with that. Hmm. So generally you'd say you feel like I mean, I'm listening to everything you're saying with your family, your sister, with Anya. You know, there's loving families, then there's loving talking families, and then there's, you know, loving families who are silent. Mm -hmm. You'd say generally you're from a family that talks. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. We're pretty, pretty open. They, and they keep getting more open and it's gotten a little bit weird, but... Now I'm an adult, so I guess they're like just free, free form. I'm not, I'm not super <laughs> jazzed about that. It's, it's okay, <laughs> I can handle it. I won't get in the intricacies of that. Um, Nothing too weird. Okay, that's good. <laughs> yeah, um, that's funny. I'm not going to edit any of the audio on this. Are you just going to play like an hour and a half of your dad, and then 45 minutes of me? Yeah. Right, oh no, they're going to be separate episodes. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's how that works. Um, shout out to Anchor. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean you're an interesting one, Reese, because I, most people aren't as open as you. I no, I, I don't know. I kind of, I feel like I kind of take pride in it. Yeah, I'm also just like a pretty bad liar, so I just <laughs> know myself enough to know how to play my cards right. Yeah. Which is just not play poker. Yeah. Because I'm bad at it. <laughs> I hear you. No, that's fair. At least you know yourself in that way. Okay, I'll... There's There's another unspoken, but I, I guess it's been spoken, angle of me and Anya's relationship is she's a lot better than me at, at gauging social dynamics that are not being spoken. Mm. And she kind of helps me with it. And we're also stellar at playing good cop bad cop in a way that makes people like us mm. yeah so we work as a team it's effective i mean i'm gonna knock i'm not gonna lie and say that didn't attract me to you guys as a, as a couple but i see what you're saying i feel like a lot of times i'm like constantly analyzing social situations personally I, see yeah i I think that's a survival tactic. Not it's everyone, it's fair. Not no. everyone has had to have that. And it's probably smart. Like, I don't know. Anya helps me notice things a lot better than I would on my own because because I was raised in such an open, like, able to talk about things, family, and all that jazz. I think I'd probably i definitely have the potential to just completely miss social cues that other people would notice mm. i've definitely had like 
like left a conversation and Anya would be like that that person was hitting on you and I was like I had no idea I thought they were just being friendly and she was like no that was weird you should have been angry about that that one fucker at Hagen <laughs> that one guy at Hagen ever hit on oh we don't need to talk about we don't need to incriminate this guy at Hagen um <laughs> there's a dickhead he works register one <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's funny he no, stopped that... me from buying sake, even though I was of age. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, no, that's interesting that you point that out with you and Anya. I think it's interesting that you realize it, which is kind of cool. And I don't know. I I would like to think that in the same way I can help her kind of be more open and in touch with herself. Yeah. That's that's what I hope. <laughs> I think you do. I hope it's not just she helps me and I'm useless. But there's also definitely... That's potentially kind of true. You're clearly not useless. <laughs> okay, I'll ask you this one. Since you are such an open guy. And you don't have to, like, give me a direct answer. Like, you don't have to tell me what it is. But yes or no will suffice. Is there anything that you've never told anyone about yourself that only you know? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. There are definitely things. Hmm. I'm going to be real. I don't know if everyone has that. I mean, maybe there's something really weird, like... I... Like, something weird, like, I sit on the toilet the other way. Or, like, something insignificantly weird. I can tell you something that I don't think anybody knows. I had this weird obsession, or, like... It was like I couldn't control it as a very small child... Where when I had to pee, I'd always tell people I had to poop. And when I had to poop, I'd always tell people I had to pee. And I I had this, like, I realized it when I was, like, five. It's, like, one of my earliest memories. Like, very small child. And I realized it, and I was like, Mom, Dad, I don't know why, but when I need to poop, I tell you I'm going to pee. And when I need to pee, I tell you I'm going to poop. And they're like... That explains so much about bathroom times. <laughs> <laughs> and I I don't know when I got over that. I don't really remember. And I don't... I have no clue why I would do that. Plot twist, you still do it. That'd be crazy. That's a doozy. That's some M. Night Shyamalan shit. Yeah. <laughs> Peeing, pooping, pantsing. We're getting... The three P's. The three P's. <laughs> the three P's of relationships. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's funny that you had some weird, insignificant thing. But I'm sure you have something deeper, obviously. Oh, yeah. But I don't know if everyone has something deeper. I think there's some people that, like, without trying to sound like an asshole, like, I think there's some people that just don't have anything deep enough that they've done or something like that or deep in a good or bad sense. Yeah, that's pretty likely. But it also might be that... I don't know. I think there's definitely a lot of people who are so... So hidden that they wouldn't even admit that. Yeah. Like... If it's worth hiding... Then it's worth completely hiding. Like, not even hinting that it might be there. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. I guess that would be the whole point. Huh. Is there something you've always wanted to tell your parents that you haven't? 
Not really. Your parents are on their deathbed right now. You have one thing oh. to tell them. Oh, no. No, I don't really have anything like that. Hmm. I've been open with the things that I feel like are worth being open with. Yeah. Hmm. Is there anything you've ever wanted to tell me that you haven't? Hmm. Um, I don't know. Not, not really. That's fine. Like, yeah. I don't know. Sometimes if you're like, hey, we should hang out and I say I'm busy, it's actually because I'm just really tired. <laughs> but I think everybody does that. That's totally normal, man. <laughs> That's totally normal. Don't feel bad about I that. I feel like I'm digging, like... <laughs> I don't know, trying to pull something out of nothing. No, you don't have to pull anything out of nothing. I mean, I think this whole point of this is like... I mean, within this conversation, we're expanding the dialogue. Talking about things. That the dialogue on what? Just general. The social dialogue. Right. Yeah. New Horizons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Ian> and Pansy. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think that's pretty much it. Cool. Um, just to ruin your audio file. <laughs> yeah. That was 41 minutes? Yeah. Time flies when you're having fun. Yeah. Have you ever done something horrible? I mean... To someone? Have you ever done something horrible to someone? I don't know if I ever did anything horrible to someone. You don't have to answer that. I mean, I did things that, like, were dumb. Yeah. That may have hurt people. But I think I apologize for those things. And I feel like that's different to doing something horrible to someone. Yeah. There's... Okay. I feel more regret over times where I was not a dick than times where I was a dick. Because I am more passive than I am aggressive. And there are times where I think you should be aggressive. For sure. And I've definitely just, like, frozen up or not reacted. Mm. And I don't know. I feel like it's really easy to get wrapped up in... Everything should be love and peace, and it's, I don't know, there, there are assholes in the world, and sometimes they need to be talked to. <laughs> I agree, and I think not doing that is more problematic. Yeah. Because, you know, you can't just, like... No, the, the things that keep me up at night are not, like, oh, I punched a dude. Okay. It's, I've honestly never been in a fight. Uh... I'd be more likely to be kept up by, oh, I should have punched that dude. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I'll tell you something crazy. It's not related to this at all. Okay. But, dude, I, I had court today for a traffic violation, just mm -hmm. speeding. But I lost a little bit of, a decent amount of faith in our legal system. Um... 
So I was the only one to go in person to the court. Mm-hmm. The judge was there, and they had a big TV screen with like mm-hmm. people in the Zoom room, like 20 people. So the judge was in the Zoom room? The judge was in the Zoom room, but I was in person. You were in court in person, and the judge was at home? No, the judge was in the court. Okay. But there was people in the Zoom. Okay. They just had like 20 people come to court at 3 o'clock, because most of them were on Zoom, and they could just knock it out. Yeah. And it's traffic court. It's district court. Yeah. It's a pretty... It's supposed to be a high-efficient process. Yeah, quick. But I lost faith because I guess I really got to see, like, centralized, like, strongly democratic local government at work. Mm -hmm. As far as what I mean is, I'll give you an example. I was going 20 miles per hour over the speed limit, right? And there there was a person in the court who was... I heard because I was in the Zoom going, uh, driving without a license and no insurance. Mm-hmm. Right? That's a big ticket. That's, that's a, a way bigger than 20 over. Yeah, that's like... That's a, big, way bigger than any speeding ticket. It's like an $800. Both of those combined. It's probably like $800. Mm-hmm. And every instance, the judge gave the person the option, well, we can have a hearing, but if I don't agree with you based off of the police statement, you know, that could go bad. But even after, like, the three people who chose to have a hearing, Mm -hmm. I'll just put it this way. There's only one person who didn't get their ticket deferred. And you're thinking, why is that bad? Why wouldn't you want your ticket deferred, right? Mm -hmm. Well, if you do the hearing and the judge decides, oh, you're totally right, you don't pay anything, it Mm -hmm. doesn't go on your record. If you get a deference, it doesn't go on your record if you don't get a ticket for six months. But you have to pay the court fee. Gotcha. But you have to pay the court fee. So that that makes it its only punishment for poor people. As well, yes, but the whole thing is he he deferred every single person's ticket. The guy who um, got his driving without a license and insurance, the judge was like, "Yeah, I can reduce these both down so much, but yeah, he might as well just do the deference." So it's almost like it's a process. No matter what the violation was, they don't care. They just want you to pay the deference court fee because it's a way that the court just keeps making money. That's ridiculous. And I'm just thinking, like, with how policing works, you know, they're policing anyone for, like, the slightest thing. Yeah. But it doesn't matter because <clears throat> if you have the option of either paying your ticket and it going on your record, but the state of Washington is like, well, we don't really care. Just pay our court fee. Yeah. Because it's $150. So oh, that's me going pretty, 20 over. pretty annoying. Gets the same amount of... Like, you get charged, you get essentially the same ticket as the guy who's driving without a license and without insurance. Yeah, and like, exactly. And many people would be like, well, why don't you just, you know, get the deference? It doesn't go on your record. It's not so much $150. It's more of like the principle of it. Like, I don't know. I was just like, I was just very grossed out by that bureaucratic process to the point where I was like, ooh, I cringe. Like, what the fuck? That's terrible. They're just like, it's just like a direct constant profit yeah. of $150. They're like, well, you don't want to get fucked? Take the $150. That's, that's <laughs> like the mob. Like, we'll protect your business from, from us, yeah. but you pay us once a month. Yeah. Like. <laughs> no, I was not. Exactly. That's a great example because I was thinking, like, if they want the $150. It's kind of just they, extortion. They, <laughs> like, might as, they might as well just charge everyone who drives, like, every four months $150 to drive in the state of Washington. I don't know, like, it's so, it was such a weird, yeah, 
I mean, like, if you're in Seattle, you're getting kind of like that with the toll bridges. It's like a weaponizing of, like, this, like, lower-level court to where yeah. the judge, you could tell, was pissed off because he was, like, having to, like, explain, like, to him these, like, very elementary mm-hmm. things. And everyone was, like, trying to have all these elaborate excuses. There's one woman who was, I think, Chinese or something based off of her name. Didn't speak English very well. You could tell she was yeah. older. That's and, always kind of heartbreaking. He, he basically was like, you win. Pay the deference. That's what he said. Almost word for word. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, pay the deference. I don't know. They're just like... Poor dude. His whole job was just like trying to get these people to say, take the deference. Yeah. Just... Just by whatever angle, just get them to say, I will take the deference. Yeah. And it's just like, in a weird way, they're winning, but not really. Yeah. Huh. Isn't that kind of fucked? It's kind of fucked. $150 court fee. What are you... I don't know. Why is the court fee $150? Because it's cheap enough to where people will take the deference, and the state of Washington has a constant inflow of money from their low land courts. Yes. And I said to him, because I heard that you can do a defensive driving course to get tickets deferred. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I thought, oh, maybe it will get rid of the court fee. I said, well, your honor, I heard that I could do some sort of defensive driving course. Is that an option? He said, some courts will have you do that as well as the deference fee. But here, we just make you pay the fee. We don't even try and sugarcoat. Yeah. Or, or exactly. Was, they were like, yeah, bro, <laughs> we just want the fee. No matter what you do, just pay the fee. You know, whatever your ticket says, ignore uh, it. The judge didn't have to come in. He could have stayed at home. He yeah. could have just zoomed it in. Yeah, no like, one should have had to go to the court. You can just make your $150 from your couch. Yeah, I don't understand the point <laughs> then. And it doesn't say that on your ticket. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Why would it be different court to court in Washington, too? Like, why... That's weird. That that feels weird to me. Like, yeah. That you know, if, I'm thinking it's because it's Olympia. Yeah. Yeah. I guess here is where they must have the the horsepower to work all the weird bureaucratic angles because they've got all the politicians. I don't know. That just seems so weird to me. And it's like, I obviously never want to vote red as little as possible. Mm-hmm. But it's shit like that that gets me. Yeah. It's shit like that. Yeah, that dude. Really gets me. It, uh, I don't, I every think... minute in America makes you m- makes me feel more a- pro anarchism. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just like, ah, uh, like maybe just blow it all up, maybe burn it all down, restart. Yeah, because it's the machine's been built. It's not like we can modify it to start working for the people. Like, it's. And it's not broken. It's doing exactly what it's built to do, which is funnel money from up the pyramid. Yeah. My Hank Hillian self was just like, I'd rather be charged for my crown. I'd rather be charged for my crown than pay your bureaucratic fee. You know? (laughs) But honestly, bro, put put me in prison. (laughs) When it comes down to to the principle of it, it's like, God damn, man. I don't know what's like, like more shameful. I don't know. I mean, yeah, fucking. There's still children in cages, and Biden bombed Syria. Uh, bombed Syria. Yeah. Stimulus. Shut Stimulus up. checks. Fuck it. Ever. This is another thing that's weird in America. There is nowhere else in the whole world where they pay so little attention to everywhere else in the world. Like. 
Americans don't talk about any other politics other than American politics. Everyone else in the world talks about European politics, whether or not they're in Europe. Everyone else in the world talks about China and Japan and Korea and definitely America. But, like, Americans just... its And it's like other people do things better than we do. All over the place. I can get over-the-counter antibiotics at a pharmacy in Thailand for $2. And it's the exact same pill that someone here would get butt-fucked for through, like, not having medical insurance. Mm. So, I, I undeniably think that the third world country of Thailand has a medical, better, a medical, a better medical system than America. Because it's, like, actual capitalism where you pay how much it's worth. Yeah. They don't have medical insurance. I think the European way of having the medical insurance works well, too. If you're going to pay a bunch of taxes, they should go to things. Like, we pay 2% less than socialist, democratic, Scandinavian countries. Yeah. If we're going to pay the taxes, we should get things for them, or else we should not have to pay the taxes, and we should get things for the price they are. America's just this wacky, insane... I'm oh, Dude, I'm getting out of here the second I graduate. There's no <laughs> way I'm living here. Yeah, I don't know. And it's, like, for, like, the past, like, 30 years, our only, like, beacon of light has been these, like, very, like, technocratic, like, please help us type of yeah. ideas. I don't know. And it's, it was hard for me to not be attracted to Yang. Uh, dude, Yang was great. As soon as he has... Yang has some very, like, narrow-minded ideas, though, that I'll openly say. But as soon as Yang said, hey, I think you should, we should make a platform where you choose where your, uh, your federal taxes go to, what, like, federal programs they go to directly. Yeah. I don't know. I thought that was kind I of... I think that's honestly a great idea. I think people would... Like, you could have minimums that people are required to percentage give to different things, so there can't be some... I don't know. Because people are so stupid. There would be some sort of platform that figured out how to be like, we need it. Everybody funnel all of your money into our new health association, which is actually just... A charity to give money to rich people. Yeah. And, like, half of America would just do it. Yeah. And then schools would have no funding. Yeah. But, like... Yeah. If if we had... If, if Reagan hadn't ruined an entire generation worth of education... Um, and we could trust the populace to do that, I would agree with you. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> Reagan, Obama... They all did, bro. Anyone who's... It's like... For privatizing education is off their meds. Dude, anybody who's for privatizing... Again, Thailand has been on a constant, way faster... Like, from the point Thailand was at in, like, 1950 versus America, America was at the height of its ultimate effectiveness. And Thailand was deeply... Definitely a third world country. America has stayed pretty flat since the 50s, and Thailand is at a steady 45 degree angle. Mm. Even if they're still lower, they are definitely progressing at a faster rate just from a further back starting point. Mm. Like, 
they they have and that's because they invested in public education they they invested in people and the money is coming back into the economy and it's going back into people and back into the economy and the unit as a whole is growing and why america as a whole can't look at countries doing that see that it works and that trickle down economics is the most wildly bs experiment to ever have been tested it just, I don't know, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. I think that's also, like, we're at Evergreen, this is pretty preaching to the choir. Like, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's good to talk about it, though. Yeah. I mean, there's some things you and I definitely do not agree on. Yeah. But that's just because I'm, like, very, like, I'm very American, dude. And honestly, that's all good. Like I said, like, capitalism can work. You just have to then like I don't know both full-on socialism and full-on capitalism require there not to be any asshole who's smarter than you mm-hmm. and that's never going to be true yeah I think I don't there's know. always an as someone who is more evil and more smart than you and they're gonna game the system and you no totally and we talked a lot about well we did a lot of reading of like Naomi Pike in this course Pack, however you say mm-hmm. her last name, and I don't know. It was it was really kind of weird for me to hear like a far leftist argument. Like, I don't want to say it was a protectionist argument, but it was like reform protectionism. It was definitely obviously anti neoliberalism, but also anti globalism. I'm pretty pro globalism. Yeah, but a lot. Which a lot of, of Americans disagree with me on. But yeah, I'd say a lot of a lot of far left people would disagree with you on that. Yeah, yeah, but I don't know. It's interesting, and uh, it was an interesting argument for me to hear. It was hard for me personally to disagree with it. Um, okay, oh, wait, hold up. I'm pretty pro cultural globalism. Mm-hmm. I'm not super pro like international conglomerates. Yeah, good. Good distinction. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that every culture has positives and negatives that could be balanced out by every other culture. Yeah. Yeah. But McDonald's can go fuck itself. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh,. Reese, quite a, a digression at the end there, but <laughs> it's okay. Michael Bowman, if you listen to this, or anyone who's listening to the Let It Out podcast, <laughs> I just want you to know that this was a fun interview. Uh, God save our troops. God bless Pete Buttigieg and God Pete Buttigieg. God save, <laughs> God save Mitt Romney. <laughs> <laughs>